The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hackey Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. Today we have my old friend John Mavros, and he's the author of the upcoming book, Enough is Enough, a Guide for Teachers and Parents to Stop Finger Pointing and Stop Playing the Blame Game. You can tell by the title of his book, John Don't Mess Around. John, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, that's great. Now, John, I know about you, but tell our audience about you. Introduce yourself. Well, I've been in education since my junior year in college, and I I uh, regret to say I, I want to get those years back, but uh, that was uh, many decades ago. I uh, retired as a guidance counselor from Pinellas County Schools. I live in St. Petersburg today, and I am uh, have kind of wandered on a path using educational concepts. Uh, I formed, I founded, and and uh, ran a a family services organization in New Jersey called the Joint Connection. And what the Joint Connection did was to allow families to make the connection between cities in New Jersey, Camden and Newark in particular, and the uh, 17 or 18 New Jersey prison sites that uh, were inaccessible by public transportation. So that service was, it was a bus service, charter bus service. Uh, people had to pay a certain fee. It uh, really, uh, it provided service to over a million and a half customers, riders, you might say. And along the way, uh, at the very outset, I learned that the family, the relationship of a person with his family is, or with her family, is most important to their living a, fulfill, a fulfilling life, one without crime, one with that where they can express themselves and, and pursue their goals and dreams. You, you have said that it is of utmost importance to have family involvement with this, okay? That this is essential. Now, we fast forward to 2018 now, and you know, in many places, especially in certain groups and everything, in a lower socioeconomic status, families don't exist to a large extent. Do you want to elaborate on that? Let me say this. I think that too much is taken for granted so far as the, uh, the inability of the uh, low-income family to be able to support itself. So in terms of the loving, the caring, the commitment that exists within the family. Now, the one premise of the book, which you brought out in the title, is that parents ha have a duty to, uh, to establish a, a relationship with the child's teachers. And another, uh, the flip side of that coin is that teachers have a, an important responsibility of teachers is to help the parent learn ways that the parent can help the child learn. So let me say that 
in the low-income communities, some of this is, as you pointed out, lacking. The family structure seems to be convoluted, to say the least. There's a lot of grandparenting going on. There's a lot of, uh, there are a lot of instances where other persons in the family are raising the children. But that sense of love, caring, and commitment, it hasn't gone anywhere. And it's something that's existed since we were so young that we remember instances where, uh, seminal instances where events that helped us to become the type of person, the person that we are today. Now, many of those things involve our family. Sometimes it involves a teacher because a teacher has a special effect on a child's upbringing. And, and this is the reason that the parent and the child and the teacher must join together as a force to be reckoned with in the child's learning. Tell us about some of the research studies that you've done. Well, I've, I've looked at what happened in Princeton, New Jersey, which is a relatively uh, high-income community, but has its own section, a uh, residential section that is a neighborhood where low-income families reside. And uh, for many years, uh, that low-income population was predominantly African-American. That's changed somewhat since the time that I was an undergraduate and became involved in the, in the uh, community uh, of Princeton. With us, along with six other undergraduates, we, we strove to set up what we called a community house that would serve the entire community in that, uh, that low-income area. It was very near the Princeton campus, just a few blocks away where people were, uh, they were employed. It wasn't a, a, a neighborhood of high unemployment. It was a neighborhood of uh, where people were doing work at the university and, and, and uh, in, in positions of, of very low income. So the situation existed in the public schools that uh, the students were in need of help. And, and the course of what we were doing to trying to serve the community, we found that the children were the ones who were accepting our effort to reach out and help. So I spent two years, my last two years at Princeton, attending classes, of course, to get my degree, but at the same time, very much involved with the uh, middle school population. And what I found is that much of the the difficulty that exists between the schools for students in school is that they are they feel a lot of discomfort and it isn't a discomfort that they can just get rid of by saying i'm not going to feel this way it's it's something that the school can help them to overcome now does that a, does that overlap into trauma informed approaches what it overlaps into is that um, very much so like as, as you say in uh, Asper Tools, uh, brains are like snowflakes, no two are alike. And what happens is that the, the, the premise that one size fits all, that we can deal with students of color the same way that we can deal with students who are of Hispanic origin, students who are uh, 
Germanic or origin, Italian origin. That that is, we can. The the caveat is that we have to want to achieve very similar goals and objectives, but the process that we have to use is has to has to differ because no two brains are alike, and people learn in different ways. Well, let's let's elaborate on that with your experience with those of us whose brains are pretty different. Now, sure, it's an anthropological study, too, with people from different backgrounds, different cultures. Uh, but let's get into now um, those of us whose brains uh, learn quite a bit differently, you know? Yeah, what happens is that we can help the, the school. When I say we, I'm speaking as an educator. The, the school can help the parents to, under, to understand that there are certain way, techniques, methods that parents can use that are very effective at different age levels. And the parent, with having this duty to want to, to help the child learn, the parent can be informed by the teacher to pursue these different uh, methods. For example, at a very early age, it's really important for parents not just to turn on the TV, turn on or get educational programs for their child. Their interactive programs, of course, are the most effective. But it's also important for the parent to spend some time reading to the child. Uh, even if the parent is looking at a picture book, it can put point to the book and say this is what the, it's saying so that the child internalizes the desire to be a good reader, to, to learn to read. Uh, it's important for the parent to, uh, to use nursery rhymes, to use different ways of communicating with the child so that the child will learn. This can happen, you, believe it or not, this can happen during pregnancy, the last trimester of pregnancy. They found, uh, research has found in, the, in this last decade that when children come out of the womb, they already understand language. Uh, they know this by if they have a newborn, a newborn child is, is, comes out, then they can play tapes. The child will hear the tapes, of course, and when the tape is played in the language that the child is of the child's mother, the child's eyes will focus on a certain, in the direction of the sound. If the tape is played in the sound in the language of a different uh, version, then the child doesn't pay any attention. So they know that the child is learning language while during pregnancy, and and even further than that, some some isolated cases, anecdotal cases, have been found where children have been born with somewhat superior, advanced, uh, just knowledge uh, 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 intellectual ability to grasp language and they credit that to the to the fact that the parents were reading and singing to the child while the, before the child was born and at, at a very early age wow wow that's amazing now john the tell us about the book enough is enough iz it's spelled by the way enough is enough um, a guide for teachers and parents to stop finger-pointing, stop playing the blame game. When is that book coming out? Next summer. June the 1st, uh, July the 1st, 
uh, I'm playing with the dates now with my publisher. Yes, but definitely by next summer. Now, if what is one piece of advice that you'd give to parents whose child is struggling with some uh, behavior in school and other things in school, and they don't know how to help him or her, what is your advice? Okay, start with the child. Show interest and support. Ask the child questions. Try to understand what the child is feeling, what the child is going through. Go to the teacher. First, go to the teacher after you talk with the child. Don't jump to conclusion that it's anybody's fault or anybody is to blame. Communicate with the teacher. This is something that I advocate school districts, schools, and school principals to get to happen the first month of school, that the teacher reaches out to talk with the parent, to have it's just some casual conversation. Like, how are you doing? I'm, my name is Mr. Mavros. I'm concerned about doing the best I can to help your child learn. And uh, would you just tell me a little bit about uh, what I might be able to do, What, uh, how I might best to work, how this might work? Uh, if there's any ways that uh, you would suggest for me to be helpful, this uh, this can happen in the first week of school, and without even talking about what the um, what the grading system is, what the child has to get to learn. Uh, this is the normal protocol in any situation where you have a group of people, in this case, a student, a parent and a teacher that's uh, going to be working together or going to be together, whether they work in or not, they're going to be hopefully joining together for the entire year. I suggest that there be a family orientation month, not just a family night, not just a family uh, 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 open house, not just a formal PTA, but a whole month in which teachers are encouraged to reach out, and then they try to carry that out for the for the rest of every every month to try to re make a contact with every parent once a month. After the, the big holiday that we generally uh, celebrate at the end of December, going into January, it sort of should start over again, not with a whole month of services, but just to be sure that they reconnect. That's great, and. Uh... When you go back to your your days as an Ivy Leaguer at Princeton, okay, and you fast forward to now, and your educational path, and let's say one of our viewers here wants to go into your field, what is the best educational path to follow for them? I would uh, suggest that they do as many of... Um practicums as they can to get into the teaching. Teaching is a, is a talent that you develop by experience. Uh, you, you can't just learn everything in, the, in a laboratory and come out and decide that it's going to work. It's kind of like uh, a residency <laughs> in, in the medical profession. You, you, have to, you have to get the feel for what you're doing. In addition to that, if there, I suggest that the pre-service training that's offered by the universities 
for teacher preparation, that that pre-service training include at least two or three courses on how to interact with the family, with the community. That's very important and it's often overlooked. We're talking about, we always have a course on history of education and, and that's good to know, but that doesn't help a person who wants to teach in the classroom to be, to be equipped to handle the situations they have to handle. How can our audience learn more about you? Well, they can uh, go to a website, which is uh, enoughisenoughbook.com. That's the, uh, the website. It's, uh, as you said, I-Z, it is spelled I-Z, E-N-O-U-G-H-I-Z-E-N-O-U-G-H-B-O-O-K.com. At the present time, what other projects are you um, part of? Well, at the present time, I am uh, uh, developing a, a series of speaking, uh, a speaker series in order to be able to present what I'm talking about as for enough is enough and in the way that uh, can be directed to audiences, depending on if it's a early childhood or middle school or high school level of audience of parents and teachers. I, uh, I also in St. Petersburg, I do a lot of volunteer work and I am uh, uh, working actively right now with the uh, uh, the upcoming political season. I'm working for the uh, Board of Elections, the Supervisor of Elections here in uh, Pinellas County, Florida, just as a poll worker and uh, with early voting. I am also a, a volunteer coordinator at my church. And I see to it that we have uh, persons every week on hand to be greeters at the church, healers, we have a, a healing uh, segment that's available to people who come to the church, uh, ushers. Uh, What's the name of your church, John? Temple of the Living God of St. Petersburg, Florida. Temple of the Living God. It's at tlgtemple.org. Is there anything else we haven't discussed that you'd like to discuss, John, with our audience? Well, what I'd like to suggest is that no matter what the level is, we t I talked about early childhood, but uh, at the uh, secondary, at the level where a child starts to make decisions, the the whole the thrust of of my book it really overlaps in many ways with uh, the book that you wrote on Asper Tools, because. At every level, a parent can start out the year by getting to know the teacher, by explaining to the teacher, uh, taking some time to communicate to the teacher, to have conversations that let the teacher know the parent is concerned and that gives the parent information to know what the teacher is concerned about. Uh, it's very important at the, uh, the period when a child starts to make their own decisions that the parent discuss these uh, these decisions in terms of what their options might be, and I'd, I'd like for to point out that uh, the the whole idea of parent teacher interaction is something that needs to be looked at, revisited at every level of education, because we have, there, as I said at the beginning, 
I worked in a program with families of prisoners and even a prisoner at that at late stage in, in the 20s has a very strong desire to be a part of a family unit and, and needs that love, caring, and commitment. Very well said. Well, our mutual friend, Dr. George Mitchell up in Boston is right about you, John. You've dedicated your life to this. You're emphasizing all of the, the hot points and the takeaway from this that I have is that the educational system and the parent family system have to come together more. The teachers have to be interested in the family. The family has to be interested in the teacher and the result will be a better result for all of our students. That's right. That's right. And I think age. too often, I, I have a tendency to say they have to work together, but they really have to join together. And in joining together, the work will be done. That's great. John, it's been a pleasure to have you here at differentbrains.org. Thank you so much for being with us. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Reitman. <laughs> Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains, Inc. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.org.